Welcome to the Dog Talk Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Gorgeous early fall day today here in Seattle. We're actually getting sun. And uh, we have a great interview today. One of my favorite authors is back with us again. Uh, We'll be talking about his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. Um, John Katz is with us, and uh, we had him on for his book uh, a couple years ago called Soul of a Dog. And then uh, about a year ago uh, with his book Rose in a Storm, which was a novel written from the perspective of a of a dog, a border collie named Rose, I think based off of his border collie, Rose. So um, I just want to make a couple announcements before we bring John on the show. Uh, before we get going with that, though, want to just let you know about some events that are coming up. I have a lot of great stuff. October 23rd, I'm giving a talk at Natural Pet Pantry called The Art of Nonverbal Communication with Your Dog. So over the past uh, 12 years, I've been working in the Seattle area doing um, dog training and behavior Um, consultations, working with both dogs and their people. And I've learned a lot. The dogs have taught me a lot and my clients have taught me a lot. And one of the things that I love the most about the work that I do is really bridging the human and the dog um, in communication and dogs being nonverbal creatures um, in order for us to learn how to effectively communicate with our dogs we have to learn and be really keenly aware of our nonverbal communication. And well, what does all that mean? Because it's more than just how you hold your shoulders. <laughs> um, there's a, actually a lot to it. It brings up a lot of opportunity for some really interesting conversation. And I'm giving a talk about this on October 23rd at the Natural Pet Pantry in Kirkland. It will be Thursday night, 7 p.m. Um, do RSVP. If you'd like to attend, you can email Randy at naturalpetpantry.com. That's R-A-N-D-I at naturalpetpantry.com. This is a free talk, um, but we do ask that you RSVP because there um, is a limited amount of space, and that way you'll be sure to have your seat reserved. So, again, that's Thursday, October 23rd at 7 p.m. at the Natural Pet Pantry in Kirkland in their lovely space I'm giving a talk, The Art of Nonverbal Communication with Your Dog, to RSVP and reserve your spot. It's Randy, R-A-N-D-I, at naturalpetpantry.com, or you can call the store, 425-739-4738. And then uh, last but certainly not least, um, uh, November 22nd is our, actually November 19th, Wednesday, is uh, the dog show with Julie Forbes 300th episode, which is awesome. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can believe it, but it's uh, definitely a milestone. So we are having a big party to celebrate that November 22nd, which is Saturday, also at the Natural Pet Pantry's wonderful space in Kirkland. It's in the same shopping center as PCC in Kirkland. There's plenty of parking. There's going to be lots of space in there. We're going to have a DJ. We're going to have Um, food and wine and all sorts of great giveaways. And the theme is really fan appreciation. So there's going to be a lot of my friends, family, clients, colleagues, um, a lot of people from the local industry. And I really hope that a lot of fans who just listen to the show come and celebrate the show. Um, 
definitely theme fan appreciation. So if you're listening to the show, you're invited. So please do come. Uh, And that is, again, November 22nd, Saturday. So mark your calendar for that. More details to come there, too. Let's bring uh, John Katz on the show. John, are you there? I'm there. Um, Hello again. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time today, and I I really look forward to this conversation. And um, this is, a, I think, a very important topic. Um, I think grief in general is something that the society is lacking in awareness about, Um, but especially when it comes to our pets. And it's a special kind of grief, I think. And, you know, you wrote this book. It's called Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of covering it, covering all the bases and giving a very uh, frank and honest um, perspective. And I think a really healthy, balanced perspective on on all the aspects of grief, because there's definitely a lot, the preparation of and then the aftermath as well. So now you are with us from your farm on New York. Right, I'm in, uh, in Washington County, New York, uh, nor- about an hour and a half northeast of Albany. And it's Bedlam Farm. Bedlam Farm. And that's where people can find you online is bedlamfarm.com. Bedlam.com. Yeah. Right. And uh, how are Rose and Izzy and Lenore, those still your three? And then you have another uh, Roddy mix? I have a Roddy mix. I think a, a dog you would particularly enjoy. <laughs> uh, I think I, I certainly thought of you more than once when I, when I Frida, uh-huh. who's a Rottweiler shepherd mix. Yeah. I have to say, Frida's the kind of dog I've generally avoided my entire life. <laughs> and um, and my my then-girlfriend, now wife, uh, Maria, yeah. took her out of a shelter, thought she was adorable. Uh, Frida caught a deer last year in the backyard. Oh, my gosh. She didn't hurt it. She just sat on it, which was ran it down and <laughs> sat on it. The deer ran away. Wow. So, so that's been a, a widened my, my experience. I have three donkeys and two barn cats uh-huh. and uh, a couple of chickens. So that's the, that's the, that's the lineup. Um but but it's been you know the, the the dog stuff continues to be a great experience for me and and uh, of course led me to this book. Yeah, and how is Rose? Rose is great. Rose is a actually she's she's at this point a working dog. Sometimes get border collies get where she's kind of slowing down, mm. um, and she's having a little trouble getting around the sheep. And I just see her walking a little more stiffly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time to uh, to slow down her her mm. workload. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, it was one of those decisions dog people make. You know, I started this thing, she wasn't moving quite right, and I took her to the vet, came home with $400 worth of anti-inflammatories and antibiotics. And, yeah. And then I watched her for a few days, and I thought, you know, wait a minute, she's just getting older, you know? Yeah. And I don't need to do all this to her. So I took her off all the medications, and uh, and she's just doing okay. She's just, just slowing down. So I just mm-hmm. have to kind of recognize that. Mm-hmm. Joint supplements, acupuncture, water therapy, all those stuff can really help dogs. Yeah, um, I've, heard, I've heard of all those, and yeah. I think that's the route I'm going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how old is she now? She's eight or nine, but she's really, you know, she's been run over and run over the 18th. Oh, yeah. Caught on barbed wire and butter oh, yeah. and kicked by donkeys. You know, she's yeah. just, and she's very comfortable. You know, she's eating well. She's she's really very happy and content. She's just slowing down. Yeah. Well, Rose, um, you know, your book, uh, Rose in a Storm, which is, was she your muse? Is that... Uh, Very much so. I mean, yeah. it was a novel, but she certainly inspired it. Yeah. And I've been through many blizzards with Rose. And yeah. um, I, I just had this idea of wondering what would happen if she were alone. Yeah. 
in an awful blizzard without me and the sheep. And yeah. what would she do? Yeah, well, she's, so that was the launching point. For she's that. business, that's for she's sure. Business. She's all business, very <laughs> a real working woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, your your new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die, uh, you talk about uh, the whole experience, which is a very important um, part of the experience of of loving an animal is, uh, you know, usually we also experience their death because usually we, you know, they pass before we do. And, um, you know, a lot of people maybe who don't have a relationship with an animal don't understand or don't sort of validate our feelings. It's such an intense experience. And you, I mean, I'm interviewing you about this book, but I also have this connection. Um, I feel a connection to you because you were my interview four days after I had to put my first dog down, Chewy. I feel the same connection. And it was the same. It was a book that you happen. It happened to be the book that you wrote called "Soul of a Dog." So it was a very appropriate topic for me. But I was just uh, ripped open at that. I mean, I would. I was in shock still, and a lot of other things. It but... was one of your first broadcast, wasn't it? No. So no, relatively early. Uh, it was early. I mean, this was a couple of years ago. So right, we, we've right. been on the air for uh, two and a half years. So yeah, yeah it, so it was, was definitely I mean, it was pretty new. Yeah, earlier on for sure. And then the next show I did, I just talked about my, I actually talked about my experience and did a whole show about it and had people call in and share their experiences. And so I could kind of relate when you, because it sounds like you've just been flooded with stories and pictures and, and people just, you know, yes, you know, this is, this, this resonates with me. I'm, I am hurting too, or I, I did, you know, when I lost my pet. So, and you did, you have this video out too that I um, watched earlier today, and there's a link to it posted on the Dog Talk Show homepage, which is dogtalkshow.com. Um, but you have a video, it sounds like it's uh, pictures that people have sent you of their pets who have passed. Right. I asked my, my readers to submit images of animals they lost, and I got about 800 submissions, and I took these. I, it was an interactive thing, and, and I, I read a little bit over the, over the images part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was a great experience. I felt like a little bit we're doing the book together, people who read my books and, and who've been through this. And mm-hmm. It was amazing to see these images and words, the emotions coming out of it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's something that so many people connect with and yet is so, I think, just now starting to be talked about and acknowledged, even though it's something that so many people have had to go through and people go through every day. Well, it's very interesting for me, uh, and I, I remember very well that I, I don't know how you did that broadcast. Frankly, I was admiring your. I didn't. I wasn't sure you were going to get through it, but you did. <laughs> uh, but but I, I I was speaking at the North American Veterinary Conference in Orlando, and uh, and th- th- these vets were just all over me about what they were describing as just a rising, intensifying grieving they were seeing about companion animals. They felt it was new. They felt it was intense, and they were. They also felt they really just didn't have any tools or training to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I've also, as you know, I've done some hospice work with with the dog. Is the mm-hmm. other my other border collie, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm well aware of what you were talking about before. Americans do not want to deal with death. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want to think about it. They don't want to th- talk about it. They don't want to prepare for it. Unlike some cultures, where it's very much present in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's especially true in the animal world where where people suffer grievously from but yet they seem absolutely shocked 
that the dogs are going to die or the cats. Mm. They just are not, have not thought about it or talked about it for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I had several things in mind. I wanted to write a sympathetic book. I wanted to write a helpful book. And I also wanted to write an empowering book mm-hmm. that would allow people to acknowledge this pain, come out into the open with it, um, and, and not feel silly about it, mm-hmm. which is a big problem, and then to have some tools to figure out what they wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, whether they wanted to move past it and how, uh, and if so, to, to help them do that when and if they're ready. Mm-hmm. And you know from your own experience, it's a very personal thing. I mean, nobody, people say a lot of unfortunate things to people, like, it's just a dog, it's just a cat, why don't you move on, get over it, get another one. Mm-hmm. Those things are not helpful. And um, they're well-meaning. But, but the other thing is, is, as you were mentioning, also half the country are not animal lovers. Yeah. And they don't get this at all. And they just think, they just think it's silly mm-hmm. that these are crazy people who are, who are drowning in, in, uh, in emotion and just aren't growing up and moving on. Right. And, and so you do have the schism. I mean, it's very real. I think the Internet has made it possible for people to find other people who are grieving but this could also be a problem because sometimes the grieving is just, you know, without boundary. It goes on and on and on. Mm. And it's hard for people to get past it. So I think there are a lot of things to talk about and think about. Uh, I started collecting stories from vets and other people, animal lovers, and, and asked them what has been helpful to them, what, what makes them feel better, what works. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I took that in my own experiences and put that into the book. Yeah, and there is a lot to talk about. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to you know, try to hit as as many bases as we can about this topic because there is a lot to it. It is very complex. There's the aspect of, uh, you know, when to when to uh, euthanize, whether to euthanize or not. I mean, there's we can talk about just the grief for the whole show, but then there's this whole other part of the. Yeah. And then there's this whole other part of the experience, too, about when you're kind of in the throes of it and you find out if that's how it goes, even, because every experience is different. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with John Katz about his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. You're listening to The Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. 
I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to animal communicator Darcy Pariso, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 12th, it's a harmonic and energetic shifting and balancing Sunday with Jude and Paul Potton from Whispering Dragon in Seattle. They'll be in the studio along with their acutonic forks, puas, Tibetan bowls, bells, rattles, doing remote sessions and clearings for listeners and their animal friends. Plan to call us on Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. 50. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Proud to bring variety to your radio dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. And we are back talking with John Katz, who's the author of his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. Welcome back, John. Hey, thank you. So you you're writing about um, about grief of uh, a lost pet, about how our culture views death and deals or does not deal with it, and about the um, the decision uh, because you know there's a question some people feel uh, euthanasia versus letting a pet die naturally or uh, when to euthanize at what point or do uh, there's one point where you talk about people feel like a way to show their love is to spend a ton of money on, you know, surgeries and treatments. And, but that's not, you know, money is not a way to really truly express love. And sometimes, you know, I think my interest and it sounds like yours as well is that we really don't want pets to suffer if in that sometimes just letting them go is, the kindest thing to do and, and the most respectful thing to do in honoring their lives is to just let them die. And, um, you know, in talking about, there was one thing that you said about um, de- letting a dog die naturally, quote unquote, versus euthanasia. And the thing that comes to me about that is we, we you know, play God, so to speak, by keeping animals and people, for that matter, alive when they would have otherwise probably died if we lived, you know, in nature, if we're talking about natural. So we prolong life with our, uh, you know, advances in medicine and and all the stuff that we know and do. But then there's like, so we, we play God in a way, you know, quote unquote, um, by keeping them alive. But then it's like, oh, no, but they need to die naturally when they wouldn't still be alive anyway. But when you get into a range of of new and largely, I think, unexplored ethical and cultural and moral issues when it comes to animals. You know, uh, uh, we don't get to make these decisions about people. You know, there are all these laws prescribing what we can and can't do at the end of life. And we don't want to deal with the human loss or death either. Nobody talks about that either. Right. Um, and, and the culture generally avoids it. I'm a hospice volunteer, and there's nothing more striking 
going into these homes, there's nobody around. Nobody wants to be there. Mm. So grief is something Americans avoid. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you have this politicizing of, of the animal culture in recent years where it's advanced this idea of the no-kill life mm-hmm. for animals. You know, shelters routinely advertise themselves as no-kill shelters, which is such a strange idea in many ways since there's nowhere in the natural world that animals live no-kill lives. Mm-hmm. And even shelters, as you also probably know, aren't really telling the truth because no shelter can survive without some euthanizing, so they either do it themselves or they or they farm it out. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea, though, is amazing that that animals should have a no-kill life. They should they should just live this protected life uh, and never, for any reason, face even a natural death. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a complicated thing. I, I think people are are seeing animals in much more emotional terms as their children, as members of the family, as soulmates. They're getting closer to them. Animals are are providing a lot of connection for people that the rest of humanity is not providing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's intensifying issues of grief. And, of course, the, other, the biggest thing I thought was the most interesting thing for me was that we are bringing this whole strange human construct of death to animals who are not involved in the conversation. Right. So so we're just projecting anything we want onto them, how, how long they might want to live, and our ideas of loyalty and, and things like guilt, which animals don't feel. Mm-hmm. So the dog or the cat is not sitting there thinking, how can you do this to me? I want to live forever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very accepting of what happens to them. Uh, I, I was very, very intrigued by the subject of guilt, which I devote a lot of space to in the book, mm-hmm. because I thought the most interesting thing about guilt, which people feel terribly about euthanasia, is is that it's so often just not true that the people who feel the guiltiest have just done nothing wrong, mm-hmm. and yet they, they beat themselves up. The people who treat animals badly of course, don't feel guilt. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing is a very distorted issue. Of People tell me all the time, I'll never forgive myself. I should have given him more time or spotted the cancer earlier or treated it differently. You know, I think that's a poisonous and useless kind of emotion. It just doesn't help anything and doesn't reflect reality. And usually it just is not true. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting point because you say it's like if you're feeling guilty, that's almost proof that you don't have any reason to feel guilty because you're you're feeling it in the first place. Right. You know, there's a religious idea I talk about in different all the different faiths, really, where I think in the Bible there's a story of somebody comes to God and says, I'm not worthy. God says to them, you know, you're enough. You're Mm -hmm. just enough. And I like this idea when it comes to animals. You know, we do the best we can. We give them the best lives we can give them. In America, we give most animals very good lives. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of focus in America on abused animals, and, and, and there is that. Mm-hmm. But most people treat animals very well and much better than animals have ever been treated, especially mm-hmm. you know dogs and cats. So, so there's a, just a disconnect, of, I think, between what's reality and what, what people are made to feel. Mm-hmm. And it makes grieving a lot worse when you lose an animal that's bad enough. When you lose an animal and are made to feel like you're some kind of a criminal or murderer, Right. then that's wicked. Yeah. Uh, the other problem, I think, is is people really have nowhere up to now to go. You know, I think veterinary schools are just beginning to deal with pet loss classes, yeah. just starting them. Yeah. And vets told me again and again and again they don't know how to talk about it because they don't want to raise it because people get very upset. And they suffer a lot because they have to put down many more dogs than we do yeah. and cats. Yeah. But they don't really know honestly what they're doing when it comes to dealing with emotions yeah you know most vets now are are scientific kind of clinicians they 
love animals very much. They're very compassionate, but they're just not trained to deal with this morass of emotional issues that come up. Vets will say to me, they did say dozens of times, one of the most painful things about being a vet is seeing how animals are made to suffer yeah. because people just can't let go of them. Yeah. And, and they, more often than anything else, they want to say, you know, let the dog go, let the cat go in peace without any more suffering. Yeah. Well, it's can't. an it's an institution, true for humans as well, that is structured around an intense fear of, and the whole purpose is to prevent death. I mean, when something exists... I mean, I mean, like, really, is are we talking about healing oftentimes or just preventing death? And this is the same thing, of course, you see debated in human health care. Yeah. They, have, they do this stuff because they can. We can try this and we can try that. And so when you come in, you know, if you haven't thought about this and you're not prepared and you find yourself in a vet's office with a dog and a cat at the edge of life and you have to make a decision, you know, you're often going to make the decision on the basis of what you think is the right and moral thing to do. Yeah. And that's, I love my dog, so of course I'm not going to let him die. Yeah. So here's $10,000 for kidney surgery. Right. And this is causing people a lot of trouble. I mean, you know, especially in a culture right now, money is tight. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have health care. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough decision when you're alone with it if you haven't in some way thought about it, which is another reason I wanted to write the book, because it, it makes the argument, that, you know, before you get a dog, as soon as you get a dog or a cat, that's when you need to talk to the vet, and that's when you need to think about it. Yeah. How much money do I have? How do I feel about it? How far do I want to go? Yeah. Well, and I, for me, I found out with Chewy that he was bleeding internally, and he was 12, and he had, you know, very probable that it was a result of tumors that were very common for his breed and all this stuff, and it was like, well, you know, you can do surgery, um, but the chances that if, if, big if, he survives the surgery in the first place, you know, a few months later, the tumors are going to probably show up elsewhere because this type of cancer progresses very quickly and all this stuff. And, you know, chemo and all this. And, and I was like, so that was sort of what I was presented with. But then I was like, brought up the option of, well, what if I, you know, put him down because he's just like, I mean, this could kill him. The surgery could kill him. He's going to die soon anyway if I just don't do anything. And like the main thing was that he was just not going to suffer, period. So and they were very receptive and almost I felt relief. I remember from one of them, they were wonderful, you know, working with me and trying to help me make figure out what the best decision was for me and for him. But they were very supportive of euthanasia as an option, but I was the one that brought it up. I have to say, though, uh, there's also, I think, enormous differences in regions. Yeah. I think the Pacific Northwest, especially Seattle and places like Portland, are just different. Yep, very true. And there's there's a real, uh, when I go on the book tour there, I'm always shocked that this extraordinary sensitivity to these issues, that people have thought about them, talked about them, and you don't see that in much of the country, unfortunately. It's very different. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when you go into rural areas, it's a whole different ethic. Yeah. You know, I went through a, a controversy with my border collie Orson, who I put down after he bit three people. Yeah. And, of course, there was quite a bit of, of, of unhappiness about that. Yeah. Um, and I've never felt badly about that decision. I felt badly, certainly, at losing him. But I thought, it was, for me, it was a very clear moment to make a real choice about, you know, what I felt about dogs hurting people. Mm-hmm. And about the value of human life. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a an important moment. 
but of course, everybody has different ideas. You know, one of the problems in America is that it's become almost a crime to disagree with people. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's not a lot of respect for disagreement. You <laughs> you see it all over the place in the media and politics in Washington, where if you disagree with somebody, you need to hate them. This kind of inhibits real discussion. Yeah. You know, I, I think people need help when they're in these situations like you were in. Yeah. Or I was in, you know, you need to talk to people about it and sort it out. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the politics of the animal world is not much better than the politics of, of, the, of the civic world. Yeah. And so people don't really get a chance to do that. They end up only talking to people who think the way they think. Um, anybody else becomes the enemy. Yeah, avoiding uh, confrontation. Avoiding it or, or just practicing hostility about it. Right, yeah. I, I, I think I've developed this idea, which I talk about in the book of... And again, I have to say, too, you know, that I think I had to come to terms myself, as you did more openly than I did. This really hurts. You know, mm-hmm. you lose an animal that you love, it's wicked. Yeah. You know, it's deep and it's painful and it's wrenching. Yeah. And it needs to be taken seriously. You know, it needs to be something that people in this culture say, you know, I know you're hurting and how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Rather than something you need to hide because you don't want to be made to feel foolish. Yeah. And let's, um, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to talk more about this because you, you do talk a bit about this in the book about, you know, different ways that people can um, move through their grief and experience it. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with John Katz, author of Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. You're listening to The Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. I'm gonna be there for you. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you. 
like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Get current weather, traffic, and news. Visit 1150kknw.com and stay informed with Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. We are back with John Katz talking about his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. And... uh, that was the song that Eric played in and out of this last break. Um, I had asked him to play it today because it was one of the songs that I played for Chewy, my dog who passed away two years ago this September. Um, and uh, one of the things that I did, and John, you talk about this in your book, about how um, like fingerprints, no two stories of loving an animal are alike and how people grieve differently. And some of the things, there was a story about Uh, this woman, Fran, who sang to Daisy every morning for a while, even after she had passed away. One of the things that I did, one of the things, was I played Chewy songs for any of um, listeners who have been listening for two years probably remember. I essentially played him love songs. Uh, I mean, I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. I mean, it was sappy. And that was my, my, I was uh, flooded with love for that dog after he died. Not that it wasn't there before, but it was just like my heart was blown wide open. And I played him songs for, I don't know how long, a couple months at least. I was like, I'm just going to do this until I, for as long as I feel like I want to. And picked a different song. And, and uh, you know, everybody's grieving process is different. And what might feel good to one person might not feel good to another. But you talk about how... It's not good to or not productive really to just avoid it. Or if you're talking with somebody who's just lost a pet or person for that matter, too, is like, oh, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to upset them. But it's healthy to talk about it and to feel it. You know, it's very it's very tricky, the whole question of grieving, because people do not really want to hear too much about it. You know, they, they want to be sympathetic and they want to be nice, but most Americans particularly don't want to hear too much of your story for too long. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that people understand that. I think when you experience this kind of loss, I think it's very important to get to people who do understand it and who say, okay, I, I know what you're feeling and it's okay to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and give you the franchise to feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think people need to remember that grieving is not something most people really want to dwell on for too long, mm-hmm. but with other people. Mm-hmm. And so you need to find some tools that help you feel better and get through it. Mm-hmm. Fellow animal lovers are certainly one, and the Internet is a great source of friendship and support for that. Yeah. 
but again, it's also a place where people can get lost in it and, and forever. Yeah. I mean, it's just this perpetual grieving that never stops. It's not nuanced and has no perspective. I asked a bunch of people, like 200 people, what was helpful to them. Mm-hmm. And m- most people said it was helpful for them to talk to people who understood. Yeah. So that means get to animal lovers, websites, blogs, clubs, agility groups, friends. Mm-hmm. And then they use these other tools. Um, you know, recognizing some self-awareness is important. You know, that kind of grieving you're talking about with Chewy obviously affected you at a particular point in your life. Mm-hmm. And the dog obviously was important to you, and I think it's important to understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the dog, but it's also something else, too. Um, so that self-awareness is very important. And I think at the time, I remember m- meeting you and sensing this, too. You know, you just started the show, and you were doing a lot of new things, and this dog kind of marked a very important period in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one reason why the, glo- the grieving was especially intense, mm. which is nothing wrong with it. It's just important to know it. Mm-hmm. I think these other tools, you know, you, you don't, I don't believe, you know, I, I love my life with dogs. I love my dogs. I, every time I think of them, I smile. And I think I want to keep that memory of them when they, when I lose them. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be all about grief. Mm-hmm. So you remember them in all kinds of ways. Songs, you did that. People write poems. You can do web pages, albums, photo albums. Mm-hmm. People are using rituals like altars and memorial services. Yeah. Some people gather people who knew the animal and talked about them. Yeah. So you have, a, well, you know, closure would be the term people use. Yeah. And I, and I have this other chapter on perspective, which I think people really need perspective. You know, when you get an animal, I think you need to understand that they're not going to live too long. You said that at the beginning of the program. So if you love animals, you're going to have a life of loss as mm-hmm. well as pleasure. And I think people don't seem to know that. And I think that's very important. I think it's great, you know, when you get a dog, you first meet your vet, sit down and go over these things. How does the vet feel about euthanasia? Will he be honest or she be honest with you when it's time to think about that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you have a conversation about it openly and not feel uncomfortable or rushed? Yeah. Very important. And, and then I think to, you know, my own case, um, I start thinking about the things that make me feel better. Understanding that this kind of guilt and suffering is not what's in the dog's head. You know, it's, it's in the human's head. Yeah. And animals just don't pick up these toxic emotions. I love to get another, you know, I, I interviewed this kid who loved her chicken, lost her chicken, mm. and was really upset. And her mother was even more upset than she was. But the, but the girl, Elizabeth, who's like seven, she told me, she said, well, you know, I told my mom that when an animal dies, you know, it's a chance to love another one. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty wise. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty sharp. Yeah. So that, you know, and I think kids don't have these other complex attachments that we get, older people get. Mm-hmm. So I think their relationship is kind of pure and a little simpler. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. And I think the context in which this is happening is really important. Our culture is extremely tense right now. Yeah. You know, work is difficult. Money is difficult. Politics is a nightmare. And news is like a social disorder. So people are having bad news <laughs> rained on them yeah. morning, noon, and night. Yeah. And so when they when they come home, they have this very pure, loving, unconditionally affectionate, non-judgmental relationship. That's the polar opposite of much of life. Yeah. And so it becomes very deep. Because the dog and cat can't speak, we can project all kinds of things on them. So I, I think the idea of advocacy is very important. Yeah. You need to speak, you know, you're talking about it with Chewy. 
you need to speak for that animal. I, I don't I don't really feel comfortable when people tell me my dog tells me when it's time. Mm-hmm. Because dogs don't understand concepts like death and medicine and healthcare. They can't possibly be making these judgments for themselves. Yeah, and people shouldn't mind. wait for an obviously, you know, an obvious bolt of lightning that lets them know um, you know, it's it's my time to go because it's not I mean, I know for me and I'm glad that I was able to do this, but I had to listen very quietly to my gut about and and feel my way through this. And there was still in it was still in the presence of uncertainty at the time because there's so much going on and it's so intense. I mean, I almost didn't know up from down when I was in the middle of it, but I was able to stay like my in. I was able to stay aware of the internal compass that just told me that it was his time to go. Um, but it is not like, oh, they'll let you know, because I don't think that's true either. That, you know, it's going to be so I, I clear. Mean, I, I think that's very important. I, I don't think we can get off the hook. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think we can get off the hook by saying, well, you know, I'm not responsible for this decision. The animal's going to tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my responsibility is to figure it out and to speak for the animal because they can't speak. Yeah. One thing and that I, think, I, one thing well, that, I mean, oh, go you ahead. T- you, you said your vet was very helpful to you, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's important. Yeah, I brought it up, but yeah, they were very receptive. I felt like one of them was actually relieved. Like, I think that would be a good option. It was like, you know, they knew. It's like, well, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. But it was like, well, you know, he's old and this is it. So you, um, we've got uh, a couple minutes before the next break, but one thing I wanted to speak to a little bit more was about the decision to euthanize. And also because you had the experience where you euthanized a, a dog because he had bitten a few people. And this is something that is, um, I know my partner was very uh, thankful that you spoke to this because she had an an experience like this with one of her dogs in her past. Uh, It was a dangerous dog and she had tried everything. Like it sounded like your experience with training and the medication and everything and it just nothing worked. and, And it was just this reality. And so you know, was she going to put another another dog, you know, at risk of potentially being killed because she wanted to keep her dog alive? And so she made that choice as well. And and you speak about your experience with uh, Orson. Yes. You, do you want me to talk about that now? Yeah. 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 Just, well, we've got about a minute and then we'll take a break and then we can talk more about mm-hmm. it. Orson is a dog I, I love dearly. Um, he was the reason I started writing about dogs. Uh, he's the reason I got the farm. Mm-hmm. I think I owed him just you know, no end of things, and wrote about him quite a bit. Um, he he bit three people. You know, he was a very highly aroused border collie who was very hard to contain. He hated being in closed spaces. Yeah, he got over under fences, open gates, all kinds of stuff. It was like a like a civil war. Mm-hmm. And he bit three people. One of them, the last one, was a child in the neck. Mm. And when I saw blood coming out of this kid's neck, I said morally. I cannot allow this to happen again. Right. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I could say before I didn't know it could happen. I can't say that anymore. Yeah. And I did not want some kid growing up scarred for life because I just hadn't done my, my job. Right. Um, and, I didn't, you know, I, it was very impossible to contain him, which would have been very cruel for him. Yeah. Because he was, you know, it's a bad thing to do a border calling. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings up for me, you know, we touched on this whole idea of no kill shelters, and it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of dogs that, 
that are, you know, that have a, a, a issues with aggression and are dangerous, you know, deadly to commonly now other dogs and also in a lot of cases people. And so why when there's so many dogs every day that get euthanized because there's simply nowhere to go, why are we, you know, I would rather see the dogs with without, you know, that don't have an aggressive bone in their body have a little more time to find a home than just keeping everybody alive because for some reason it's just, you know, we're avoiding that reality. And shelter directors will admit that this is a problem for them because they, you know, animals get euthanized because there's no room in shelters because there's dogs that can't be adopted or there for years. And and what dogs, and how's their life? I mean, how's their quality of life? life? Yeah. It's a terrible. Oh. But I have, I have a theory about this, which I can explain for you. Okay, let's uh, let's okay. take a break. So hold that thought. We're going to okay. take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with John Katz talking about his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. You're listening to The Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Hey, dog show fans, does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Talk radio with a difference. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM.
Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes, and we are back with John Katz talking about his new book, Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Now, you were just about, just on the cusp of a thought before we went to break. I had a thought. Uh, you know, I, when I wrote Soul of a Dog, I was reading a lot of great writing, Aristotle, you know, Plato, Thomas Aquinas. They worshipped this sort of human spirit, the human soul, and they saw animals as being subordinate, inferior. Animals are not as complicated. They, they don't improve their lives. They don't have a conscience. They're very accepting. And they saw, uh, the, the great writers all saw human beings as just creating civilization, drama, mm-hmm. democracy. In our time, it's almost been reversed, and people are disenchanted with human beings. <laughs> they feel like they're ruining the world, and they make war, and they're divisive and self-destructive. And I think we're almost beginning to worship animals. And this idea of creating the perfect life for animals, in which there's no death and there's no suffering and there's no uh, no reality even, and, and they must be kept alive at all costs by any means, regardless yeah. of, of any sense of rationality or even actual concern for their well-being, yeah. um, is, is a new idea. It's part of this idea, I think, of people elevating animals to this almost religious statu- status in the world. Mm-hmm. while finding people uh, just failing to, to live up to expectations. Which is quite sad. I think sad. I think it's not good for either yeah. people or animals, really. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking, you were talking about um, the, how this sort of a switch and people are almost worshipping animals. And I, there was one point that I have been thinking about as far as death. Uh, and you talk about this, and I've thought this before, and I've seen it where, you know, uh, Death is as natural as birth. Death and birth. I mean, it's like the two things that you can count on if you're going to be alive is that you're going to be born and you're going to die. So what is it about death that freaks us out so much and as opposed to birth? And one of the things as I was thinking about this is that I wonder if it's because we can't see what happens after death. We know what happens after birth because there's a baby and and the rest is history. But is it like a basic fear of the unknown that it just sort of freaks us out because then it's death. It's like the, the, the other side of birth. But then it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, we can't wrap our brain around. How is this person here? And now they're not. And where are they? And, you know, there's their body, but their souls, you know, I mean, it's like this whole thing. So death and birth equally as natural, but they are viewed very differently in this society. Well, and, and you know, neither one of them is discussed that much either. I, I mean, Americans are, if you look at the news and the things Americans are confronted with every day, mm-hmm. you don't ever see a philosophical or other discussions about these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, wouldn't, you really wouldn't know anybody died. The elderly tend to be hidden away in nursing yeah. homes and facilities, and, and they're just not seen or talked about. You have this idea in America that when you start getting older, you're supposed to downsize and kind of melt away, and, and you don't have any buying, buying power. You're supposed to go away. Right. So how are people supposed to come to terms with the death of an animal? And, and the way animals are marketed, too. You know, animals are marketed as adorable puppies. Or increasingly, and this is another factor, as piteous rescue creatures. Mm-hmm. And when you rescue an animal, that's not the same as adopting one or buying one. Yeah. That's an emotional bond that's very intense. 
So people, really, the only images they have of them is an impulse to get an animal, to get a dog, bring it into your life, bring it into your emotional life increasingly. And then all of a sudden, when it's gone, people are experiencing extraordinary pain uh, that they're just not prepared for. Yeah. You know, they've never thought about or talked about it. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, we live in a capitalist marketing culture, and there's no money in marketing death or talking about it. So it's why you never see it on a public program. You just don't, wouldn't know anybody died. Well, it's amazing how it's hidden. I mean, the uh, I took a course in college, the Social Organization of Death and Dying. Very interesting class. Probably one of the most valuable classes I took as far as equipping me for life. And, you know, she talked about how how this how our culture hides death and how even how hospitals are structured. I mean, you never see them wheeling people who have passed through the lobby. I mean, they everything is structured in the back where you can't see it's all hidden away um, where the van come, unmarked van comes to pick it up. I mean, it's, it's everything is structured around hiding it. Well, and I think the same is true of, of dogs. Mm hmm. I mean, you know, this is not not something anybody sees or wants to think about, or you know, in in publishing, it's taboo to even mention a dead animal. You know, it's just you just don't mention it. Yeah, and, you... so, and I and I think this really, I mean, that you have to really start this process. I think in the veterinary care system, I think that's where you're going to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, you have a video that I I mentioned earlier in the show at the beginning. Um, that's a very lovely, and I've posted a link to it on the Dog Talk Show homepage. Um, and you said something that I wrote down while because you're talking in the video, and you said there's always a goodbye hovering in the shadow of a dog. We are never here for too long or for long enough. We were never meant to share all of your life, only to mark its passages. We come when we are needed. We leave when it's time. Death is necessary. It defines life. And I really liked that. Um, go ahead. Well, I think it's very important to, you know, death defines life, I think, as you said very well at the beginning of this discussion. You know, life has no meaning without death. It's the time here. So it's very relevant to our viewing dogs. You know, dogs for thousands of years have brightened our lives, kept us company, give us emotional support, protection, companionship. And I... I don't personally want to see my life with dogs as a depressing thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, and I think we're often led in the culture, especially when you're, you know, when you you get stuck in this groove. I mean, there are people who will grieve with you forever. Yeah. And it's a personal choice about when you're ready to stop that. Yeah. And move along as you did. You got another dog and, and you certainly love, love Chewy and miss him and think about him. And still do. And still do, which yeah. is perfectly yeah. appropriate and healthy and natural. But you also moved on in a sense too. It's it's not the only thing you're doing with dogs. Yep. So when people tell me, you know, I lost my dog seven or eight years ago, I can never get another one, and I'll never get over it. Right. I, it troubles me because I think first of all, if there's 12 million dogs in shelters that would love right. to come and live with him. Yeah. And secondly, you, you ask, well, what's going on? I mean, that's that just doesn't sound like a healthy thing to me. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things, too, we've just got about a minute left. Um, what I was impressed with through my experience with losing my first dog was when what I have taken with me is really how there's no limit to how much you can love. Um, right. And, you know, it's like this this gift. It's it's the it's a painful and beautiful thing at the same time. Um, your book is wonderful. As always, I enjoyed reading it. I think you're talking about a very important topic, a, a topic that needs a voice 
It's so complex. Again, it's called Going Home, Finding Peace When Pets Die. And John's website is www.bedlamfarm.com. That's B-E-D-L-A-M farm.com. And you can find links to him from the Dog Talk Show website as well. John, thank you so much for your time today. Great to hear you sounding so great. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening to the Dog Talk Talk Show. All right, thanks. On Alternative Talk, 1150 AM.